0: Welcome to Account Trends, everybody. I'm Jason Stein with Intuit Accountants. My co-host, David Bernstein and I are excited to be with you every couple of weeks to share the latest news, interesting perspectives, and hottest trends in the tax accounting world. We'll have special guests on the show to help break these trends down and give you food for thought as you find new ways to deliver for your clients. But most importantly, we plan on having some fun while doing it. Welcome. Welcome back to Account Trans, everybody. Jason Stein here, your host, with my partner in crime, Ms. Viv Bergstein, and with us today another special guest, Ms. Carrie Steffen. Did I say your name right, Carrie Steffen? Good.
1: Well. Done. All right. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited.
0: So, Carrie, you are tell us a little bit about yourself. Who, who are you, and what do you do in the profession?
1: So I am co-founder and president of a firm called The Whetstone Group, which is a top line growth advisory firm specific to the accounting profession. So we only work with accounting firms. Uh, We've been around since August of 2000. And our focus is really, you know, sort of two areas, growing top line revenue and growing. So we talk about it in terms of growing practices, as well as growing people, which means developing the skill sets around growth that practitioners need to continue to be relevant and competitive in the changing marketplace. Um, Prior to that, I worked at McGladdery in their national marketing office. So I actually came out of the profession. I came out of industry um, and helped start the Whetstone Group in 2000. And we've been
2: doing it ever since. I think I've known you uh, for these full 20 years when you uh, were, well, I guess you were always the president and Larry was the CEO.
1: Yes. Yes. I think Uh, we have, we do go back that far. I think, David, that's right.
2: You know, and and I know you're always trying to help firms, and I've actually attended some sessions where you have been presenting uh, to help these firms grow, but I think it's kind of unique. What does whetstone mean?
1: So a whetstone, for those of you who are not familiar, is actually a tool that is used to sharpen a blade. So they, they can take many forms. The simplest ones are basically like a rock that you use to sharpen a blade um up to these more elaborate versions that you know have turnstiles and pedestals and all this kind of stuff but the idea of the whetstone is that it's really a pretty simple tool right it's basically a rock but if you use it and know how to apply it correctly it can hone your competitive edge so that's why we landed on the whetstone group
2: i think that's a great name with that competitive
0: edge i like that i love the the elegance of it too the simplicity and the complexity that you know can be involved in that cuz Sharpening our our you know our craft in this profession doesn't always mean you know something terribly complicated. It doesn't mean a complete overhaul. Can just mean grabbing a rock and using it intentionally to sharpen that um, sharpen that blade. So very yeah, clever.
1: I, I, I like the simplicity of that too, and and it's knowing how to apply it right, and and then carrying that forward. And that's what we hope to. Right. Instill in our clients what we do is not rocket science. I wish, <laughs> I wish I could claim that it was <laughs> so much more complicated and and uh, complex than it is. But I, I, have, I just get this sense that we as a profession have sort of overcomplicated a lot of things, and so we want to get back to the basics and do the right things the right way and reap the benefits of that.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, hundred percent agree. And I mean, really, it's just about and we talk about this on the show all the time. It's all about intentionality, right? Mm-hmm. So. What you're doing is putting that intentional focus on, you know, sharpening the, the firm and, and you know, helping them increase top line growth. Um, so, so you have this concept that you talk about, Carrie, addition by subtraction. Tell us what that means.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about this idea of addition by subtraction because I think it gets at the heart of a couple of major issues that firms are struggling with, one of which is capacity. And burnout of their people. Um, The other is sustaining growth and continuing to be able to help clients. And the concept of addition by subtraction is really about taking a look at where the firm is spending its time. What clients are we serving? What services are we offering to those clients? And getting really focused and sort of narrow in the way that we define that and getting rid of or transitioning. Getting rid of is kind of a harsh way to say it, but transitioning out of the practice, the stuff. That doesn't really serve our purpose and, and doesn't really help us meet our vision going forward. Um, and a number of reasons to do that. The first is to get rid of those clients that suck the energy and joy from our people and they're causing <laughs> them to leave the profession, which we've all experienced. I think every firm that I've worked with in the last several years is experiencing capacity challenges as it relates to people leaving the profession and not being able to attract young people into the profession. So I think that it helps us be really intentional about, you know, what is it that we want? What kinds of opportunities do we want to create for our people? And how do we want to make sure that they are in a profession that is fulfilling and uh, offering, you know, value proposition for them that, again, is not going to burn them out. So, you know, it's about subtracting out the things that don't fit. The addition that you come up with or what you where you end up with, you know, the growth opportunity is with what's left. And so you look at, you know, if we really zero in on the kinds of clients and the services that we know how to do really well and that our clients really need, and we do more of that for the existing clients and maybe bring in a few intentionally that look a lot like the existing clients that we want to continue to serve, we can actually, and I've seen this happen in firms that I've worked with you can actually create top-line growth as well as increased profits with fewer clients. So you're actually growing opportunities for people, you're growing revenue, you're doing all of that great stuff with fewer clients to serve and manage. And that's what the addition by subtraction means.
2: What, What I really hear you saying is you can automate the functions that have to be automated in accounting, take the lower value services and let them be where they are and sell your existing clients more advisory services and what they need in order to grow. Because that's where the top line growth is, is taking that one client and tripling the amount of services that you can offer them.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think automation plays a big part in it and, and, you know, figuring out what pieces of that can we automate, which pieces do we need to keep that human element and the relationship piece with, which is the advisory services and, and adding value. And then looking at the, you know, the pricing structure overall to make sure that we're, Um, we're getting paid what we're worth, you know, that CPAs are actually getting paid for the value that they deliver, which I think has also been a challenge and a struggle for accountants over the years. I think that they've tremendously undervalued what they provide. And in some cases, don't even really um, think as hard about what they provide beyond the compliance piece of the services that they offer. And so when we start sort of broadening their vision about advisory and what that really means for clients and what their clients really get, it does enable them to command a, you know, pretty, pretty good price for that, um, for that value that they're delivering to their existing clients.
0: Yeah, it's an it's an interesting dichotomy that we've had in our profession for so long, where, you know, just like you said, and and I, I mean, we've been talking about advisory services and being, you know, charging what you're worth for for 20 plus years, right? Longer than I've been around. I mean, Ron Baker's been talking about it since the 80s. Um, but we have this sort of and, and then at the same time, you know, firms are generally doing well from a revenue perspective. They're making money off the compliance services. And that's sort of, to me, been a barrier in uh, pushing folks to to go beyond the compliance work because there's no there's no problem in front of my face telling me, oh, no, I've got to change this right now. COVID kind of woke us up a, quite a bit, uh, which I think was a, a silver lining to all that. but. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I hear a lot of firms, uh, you know, talk about is just, I can't afford that luxury. I, I, you know, I'm, it's all I can do to serve the clients that I have. And sometimes that's a lack of intention. Sometimes it's, you know, they say they don't have the luxury of, of being selective with clients or, so what, what advice do you give people that, that have that point of view? How do you, how do you bring the importance of being more focused on the things that will add more value versus focusing on quantity. How do you help people overcome that?
1: Well, I think to some extent, the labor market is helping to push that narrative. Um, I think that younger generations of practitioners are not uh, willing to endure the same sort of environment that maybe are more established groups of leaders have endured over their careers. And I think that it has come to a head. I think the other thing that's happened is, you know, the entire landscape has gotten more complex, even around um, compliance oriented services. There are additional layers of complexity and constant change that our practitioners are need to be able to deal with on behalf of clients. And so I don't think it's sustainable to feel like to think that a firm can continue down that road of serving every client's needs and just churning through that compliance work when there is so much that changes about compliance work. And you've also got this generation of labor force that, you know, doesn't want to be beholden to that. And so I think those two things are helping to make that case um, for a lot of practitioners. I think that, um, you know, as younger generations, as the next generation of leaders Come into um, come into their own in firms, and when we see you know new partners that are transitioning in and that are really looking at how am I going to create something that is a legacy for me that can be sustainable for the people that are behind me, they're asking some of those really hard questions and are pushing for some of that change. Um, they know that they need to do it differently than it has been done before if they want to keep their firms intact. If they you know even if they don't want to, even if their goal isn't to remain independent, I think some of them do have a goal of remaining independent and not having to be forced to merge up. But even for those firms that are looking at some kind of a merger situation, you know, they need to create value in order to command the right kind of fee to make the merger happen and to make sure that the retiring partners get their buyout. So I think there are a lot of factors that are that are playing into that that are making that case probably better, <laughs> better than I could, um, <laughs> or I would have made it, you know, I've been trying to make it for 20 years and it, right. it, it changed by now if I could have made it on my own.
0: Uh, <laughs> I think, I,
2: go, ahead, go ahead. No, that go was, ahead, David. I, I think that's right on point. I'd like your addition by subtraction because with less clients and broadening the amount of scope of services that you do, you're serving them. They're not going to leave, but if, and they're going to have a better bond and you're going to be able to try try it. If you try to service everybody and you can't give that extra value service, those clients that you want to keep will probably end up going someplace else. So more, I guess, less is more from what you're saying, and and that's really what people have to focus on.
1: Yeah, and when I when you get into the, you know the advisory services like you were talking about earlier, David, going beyond the compliance piece, you know, first of all, the compliance has gotten more complex. We know that, and it's changing rapidly, but with this emphasis on advisory if you think about what it really means to be an advisor to clients it's having a broader perspective on their business than just that compliance side than even just the financials it's getting into things like operations and growth and you know re, you know human capital and technology and not that we have to build practitioners that are experts in all of that but they need to be sort of problem solvers in that area and be able to be able to connect their clients with resources and you know, think about what that means if you've got 20 different clients in 20 different industries, how difficult it is to be able to go that deep with each one of those and be really a true advisor to them versus the practitioner over here that maybe serves, you know, 10 of one kind and 10 of another. And now they can go really deep in both of those segments and they can do the education and they can learn from each other's, you know, from the other clients and start to understand best practices and you know, it's just, I think it is a, is a catalyst. The whole focus thing is also a catalyst for being better advisors. And again, being able to do more and, and charge more for what you're doing to client for clients in the long run.
0: Right. And structuring the structuring, the the pricing model around that, right? Yes. Like yes. I say all the time, we've been for forever, we've been advisors, but what we do is we charge for the tax return we charge for the bookkeeping. And then as, as a good relationship measure, we give, Free advice that the client never takes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's because they don't place any value on it. They're like, "Oh, well, thanks for the consider. I'll consider it, but I'll see you next year." Uh, and we got we just we need to flip that and center the the relationship, including how we get paid, around the advice and the compliance. Just comes along for the ride. Yeah, and I love your points too about how the environmental factors are playing a role. Because I mean, we were just talking with Shelly Lear from FICPA. Uh, in a previous episode, and you know a lot of her focus is the younger generation of um, you know or the next generation of of professionals in our in our industry. and going all the way up to, you know to high school, middle school to help educate people because this this way that we've been doing things, this working eighty hours and wearing it as a badge of honor, those days are over. And it, it, you know, it kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier with uh the, the focusing on you know gro- the growth and development and and where you want, where you're gonna get the most impact with the people that are in your firm. And, and so because of the environmental factors, because of the technology, because of everything that we have available to us, both on the positive side of opportunity, but also the forcing functions of saying, hey. This isn't going to work anymore. We're ripe for disruption in our, in our profession, and you're seeing it happen. Some of it, it comes in the form of M&A. Some of it comes in the form of um, just going and looking, revisiting your, your whole vision and strategy and the purpose for your firm's existence, and then making that intentional change. And then I also want to back up your point about um, niche firms. Our research shows the same thing. When we talk to firms that are um more niche focused, now that doesn't mean that doesn't mean like they have one niche and that's all they serve. You even gave a great example. A couple of niches, probably two or three, maybe that are similar types of industries, so that you could build that deeper expertise um and then be able to apply that amongst the the you know businesses and um people that that you're serving. So Let's talk about let's talk about how people get to that next level. What do you do with with firms exactly to help them go from you know we've taken every client that walks in the door compliance based focused business we've got our complex processes that we're very proud of by the way because <laughs> we've spent twenty years cultivating them. How do I go from that to where you're bringing firms? Uh, you know. And actually, practically implement these these concepts.
1: Well, I think the first step is bringing leaders of the firm. And when I say leaders, it's current leaders, and it's also up and coming leaders. So sometimes it's brand new partners, but sometimes it's folks that aren't even at the partner level yet. But we want to keep them. We want to keep them engaged. We want to give them an opportunity to get some skin in the game. So we want to bring them to the table to get their views. And we bring those folks together to really have some sort of sometimes difficult conversations about what is the vision for the firm going forward? Here's where we are today. And it's hard because the old generation of leaders, the older partner group has to be okay, maybe stepping back from that a little bit and allowing some of those younger voices to give more weight to the decision-making process. And so that can be a, that can be a tricky thing. Um, we always talk about a mindset of unlearning with folks when we're talking about this process. And it's unlearning is about letting go of some of those old paradigms or those old mindsets that were true at one point. And it doesn't mean that the, you know, current leadership did it wrong as they came up the ranks or that the firm is bad or that, you know, something that needs to be fixed. It's not about fixing things that were wrong or that were done wrong in the first place. It's about, looking at what the current landscape is, how it's changed and resetting our mindset around the way that it needs to work going forward. So, and that's a really, that can be a hard thing. And especially for partners that have been with their firms and have invested in their firms for many years and invested in their career, they take that personally because it is really connected to their identity in a lot of ways. So we have to sort of work through that. But when we get those folks to the table and start having conversations specifically about how big. What, you know, geography do we want to serve? Are we going to be a national practice or are we going to maintain local connection? Is, you know, how does technology play in? Um, How many, you know, practitioners do we feel like we want to be? Do you know, is there a point where we get too big? Do we want to put a limitation on that? But you start having real conversations with people about what do you want it to look like? You start asking questions like what kinds of clients do we want to serve? What industries are we already strong in? What industries have we never practiced in, but they're just too exciting for us to ignore? You know, And so we're going to diversify into that and make some decisions, put those stakes in the ground and really start to create that framework for who is it that we want to serve? How do we want to serve them? What do we want to do for them? You know, Again, how big, all of those questions and build out that vision. Once we have the vision designed, we need to communicate that internally. So the next step is Getting everyone else on board. We have leadership making that, you know, making those decisions, talking to the rest of the firm about the way we, we see it, how what we're building for the future, what their role is, what's in it for them. There's a you know business case, it's there's a little element to change management sometimes because it probably means that maybe I'm going to be doing something different tomorrow from what I did yesterday. And so we've got to work through that with people. But getting everyone to understand what the vision is and how they can play a role is the next step. And then from there, you start planning out, what does the revenue model look like? You know, if we want to go from, you know, X dollars today to X dollars next year and X dollars in three years, where's that going to come from? And, you know, we take firms through a pretty detailed goal setting process, revenue goal setting process. And it's not always about accelerating and creating this, you know, these gigantic leaps of growth. Sometimes it's more just about figuring out where's the opportunity going to come from. If we want to just even grow, you know, I think the, the newest Rosenberg survey had said that last year, most firms were growing around 10% on an average without mergers, which is pretty good. But even if we want to back it off a little bit and be a little more controlled and say, you know, we want to grow 6 or 7% just to maintain what we have and maybe create some capital to invest in new things, what does that look like? So we want to break it down. How much from existing clients? How much from new clients? How much from price increases? Um, you know, and get really specific about where that's going to be coming from. And then once you break the revenue down into those different categories and understand what you need to generate from each of those, then you start looking at what are the activities that make sense from a sales and marketing and a growth standpoint. Um, and if the majority of your opportunity is with existing clients, because we're going to carve out X number of dollars for our calling process and get rid of the stuff that doesn't fit anymore. So we've got to take that into consideration. And we know that we've got X number of dollars of opportunity in our existing clients. The sales and marketing, what firms think of as sales and marketing activity, is typically going to networking events and putting on seminars. But really, the growth activity when most of our opportunities with our existing client base is around teaching our people skill sets around advisory and asking questions and training. So training takes on more of an emphasis in that scenario than you know a Digital presence, and not that we don't need those things, but you know, our email marketing and some of those other things that we do outside of our existing client base maybe get de emphasized for a while while we focus on growing internally. So, again, once you start getting it down to that level of detail, you can get really specific about what activities make sense. If more opportunity needs to come from outside the existing client base, because we're going to call out the stuff that doesn't fit, and boy, based on our vision, we don't have a lot of stuff that does fit left, so we've really got to be aggressive about finding new opportunities then our then our tactics change right then we really need to be focused on having people out in the community and doing lead generation projects and getting opportunities into the pipeline and taking a look at our proposal system and making sure that that's solid so that we can you know convert those leads into clients as quickly as possible so again i think the activities which is typically what firms sort of think of first when they think of sales and marketing and they think i got to develop a plan they sit down and decide what activities they need before they step back and do some of this other stuff so that was a pretty long answer, I think, to your question. But I think it starts with getting leaders on board with what the vision is and being very clear about that so that we can align everything else with it.
2: I think you gave a perfect, a perfect answer, even though perfectly it was a, stated a, a long answer. But what you're really saying is you're coming in as an outside facilitator and you're looking at their mission statement, their strategy, their values, and saying, do these things Stay in the future, or do we change and adapt uh, a new culture and a new new order of life? Everything you said is perfect. It must be a long, drawn-out process for these firms, so they got to get on board. And then it's probably a two, three, four-month implementation period. It's not. It's not terrible.
1: We usually, when we work with firms and they hire us as an outside facilitator, we usually try to take that strategy session and boil it down to a day where we get people together and we hash it out for a day. Now, there's some prep for that and then there's the you know documentation and presenting the plans back which takes a little bit of time but you know we really don't want to make this um a barrier for firms because we feel like it's that important. We don't want it to seem like again, you know we said in the beginning how we sometimes overcomplicate things, right? <laughs> and our job is to make this simple. We've got a process. We know what questions to ask. We can't make the decisions for you, but we can guide you in the decision making process and we want this to be accessible and easy for firms to get their arms around because if we feel like feel like a it's that important and b we're, we don't need to overcomplicate it.
0: <laughs> right, right, exactly, uh, and I think that's perfect. And I, I absolutely love how and you reinforced it. It starts with shared vision, and and, and that's with any kind of board organization, any any organization in any industry. You know the the leaders who are who are driving real change and driving real growth will tell you that shared vision is is absolutely critical, and and that's part of what's part of what I do it and into it when I'm developing our education strategy. Um, you know, I I don't just build it and then go tell everybody here's what we're going to go do. I cultivate it from within the organization, and we all develop the vision together as a as a leadership team. Mm-hmm. And then we go resource and execute it and bring the right people to get the right things done. And so you've got to have that. It's like, it's like getting in a car and not knowing where you're going. You, if you don't have the end point, the destination in mind, um, you're never going to get there. Uh, and so you, you've got to establish that first.
1: Yeah, I, you're exactly right. I, and I think that um, it's, it's been one of the areas that I think has been overlooked for Uh a long time um, inside of some firms that this idea that, well, each partner has his or her sort of own idea. And as long as, you know, everybody's contributing in some way, that's probably enough. And, you know, there are many times when we go through this process and we sit down with those leaders around the table and we ask them what their vision for the future of the firm is. And we get as many different answers as there are partners sitting around that table. Yeah. We just don't communicate it. Each one of them thinks there's a vision because they have their own vision. But it's not a shared vision. And so I think that's the key. Like you said, you know, getting the team together and and really making sure that we're all on the same page. And we've got, you know, all of our oars are in the water going the same direction.
0: Right. And then you've got to align business model and org structure to the 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 shared vision. And that's where things start getting complicated.
1: Right. Well, and then, you know, all of the support systems, right? The technology support system, infrastructure for marketing, the Um, you know, the human capital side of it, the, you know, all of that stuff gets aligned to what that vision looks like. And they've all, they all work together in concert. So, yep.
0: Yeah. I I hope that everybody listening to this episode is, is hearing what you're saying and, and saying, and if you're not doing this today, if you're not driving towards an intentional vision and strategy, and you're not sure, you know, how to go about that. There are people like Carrie out here in our profession helping firms like you do exactly this. And this is this is what we talk about all the time. If, if we're going to succeed in the future, we it's time to self-disrupt uh, and, and start looking at the future differently because we are in the middle of a massive shift in our profession. Um, so Carrie, if people do want to get a hold of you, possibly hire you to help them uh, get, grow their firms, how would you recommend they get connected with you?
1: So the best way to reach me is by email, um, which is, I know, sounds very old school, but uh-huh. um, it's Carrie. Sometimes the
0: simplest things work best, right? Yes, <laughs>
1: things, that's right. Um, Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E, at the Whetstone Group, which is T-H-E-W-H-E-T-S-T-O-N-E group.com. And um, that's probably the easiest way. If people want to learn more about what we can do or how we can help, um, With the strategy side or any of the other things that we do, um, you can visit our website at thewhetstonegroup.com. So it's just like the email, T-H-E-W-H-E-T-S-T-O-N-E group.com. If they want to follow us on social media, find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on there. Um, Follow us on Twitter. Uh, C. Stefan is is my uh, handle on Twitter. So yeah, connect with me, find me. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with anybody who wants to chat, even if you're not sure what you need or if you need help or you just want to bounce some ideas off someone. I I love conversations like this because I learn stuff too.
0: Right, same. Yeah, this is my favorite. Wonderful. Carrie, thanks so much for, for being on the show today, sharing some of the expertise that you've developed in working with these firms. Um, really appreciate you being here.
1: Thanks, Jason. It was a lot of fun. And Dave, it was good to see you too.
0: Too short too. <laughs> All right, great. Well, uh, th- thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you go check out Carrie and her resources. And uh, uh, I hope this was helpful in um, helping you think about your intentionality with your vision and strategy as a firm, help you transform mo- mo- into the future. So thanks for listening, everybody. Till next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to learn more about any of the topics discussed on the show, visit intuitaccountants.com forward slash podcast. Account Trends is produced and edited by Luke Johnston. Copyright Intuit 2023.